That was so meaningful, I just needed a minute to not be up here. This morning, we are continuing our sermon series, God's Dreams for River Park Church. And as we near one of the most special times of the year, we are again faced with brokenness in our world. Within a week, we have two deaths in our congregation, Harry and Cliff. There's another COVID variant rampaging across our country and across our world. A typhoon hit the Philippines. Many of us have had plans canceled. We're separated from family and from many people we love. And I'm supposed to talk to you about peace. Let's come to God and hear his word together this morning and pray that his spirit speaks to our hearts and he sustains us as we hear it. So I'm going to just begin our time in a prayer and then we're going to read together from Isaiah chapter 9. Father God, we long for peace. As I alluded to in our prayer before, we long for flourishing for ourselves, for those we love, for our world. And we see the many cases and we experience the many ways in which that is not so. And with Isaiah, Lord, we also long for justice. Not that things would be put right as we see them, but that things would be put right by you. Because we do not hope in ourselves, we hope in you. So hear our prayer this morning and speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This morning, God's word comes to us from Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, isn't that just a beautiful way to start the passage of Scripture? We know all what is going on in our world, but nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in darkness, in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea and beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged their nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, Israel's enemy, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government, the power, the authority will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So far, the reading of God's word. 
As I thought about peace this past week, it struck me that a Christian vision of peace, the Christian vision of the peace that comes with the kingdom of God is often lost in our world. We are tempted to think of peace as our world thinks of peace, as nothing. Our world thinks of peace as an absence. Peace is the absence of conflict. It's the absence of violence. Peace is nothing at all. Even if we're not careful, we might get the wrong idea from some of our Christmas hymns, like the beautiful song, Silent Night. All is calm. All is bright. Now, Silent Night offers far more than that. And it's not an inherently a bad picture of peace, but if we're not thinking with the eyes of the Spirit, it might lead us in the wrong direction. To understand what peace really is, the peace of the coming kingdom of God, we need to hear the gospel story again. Probably many of us, if not all of us, know that gospel means good news. And mature Christians know that the story of good news in Scripture is one where we can find our place. We can find our own place in the, in the broader story of God and his people. When we, in our vision statement, talk about wanting to reach out and draw in others to our community, we profess that that's, we're drawing them into that story. That it's actually God who changes our hearts and God who changes other people's hearts. When we're trying to draw them in, we're not just trying to reach out and draw others into our church family, but into the family of God and into the kingdom of God. We're not trying to change other people's behaviors, to get them to come to church or act a certain way or, or certainly not to be like me or like any of us. If we want to be people of peace, we don't need to try to change others. That's the peace of our world. That's the peace or the, the supposed peace that leads to force and to violence, trying to change others. That's the peace that leads to grief, a false peace. People of God's peace are captivated by God. When we're captivated by God, we become willing and eager to show others who God is, to tell the others what he has done in history, and to show and tell what he's done in our own lives, what he's still doing in our world today. And so this morning, I want to tell you that story, the story of the good news once again. And I want to use seven movements, seven pictures to do it. Those of you who are uh, drawing or writing listeners or maybe you're a little more kinesthetic person, you could pull out a napkin or a piece of paper and, and draw this on it. Or in, later in the service, you could pull out your phone and take a picture. You're already using it for the order of worship. And just a note before we begin this, that in this section, I'm borrowing pretty heavily from Christopher Wright and from Jason Georges. This is how the story of the good news starts. With creation. God is this great king and a good father. He creates the heavens and the earth and everything in them. 
He makes humans in his own image. And he shares with us his honor and his glory. God made us to serve him, to rule over creation with him, and to live together in this triangle of right relationships. God, humanity, and our world. Our earth. But we rebel. We chose disobedience from God's instructions. We were disloyal to him. Our disloyalty led us to hide from God in shame. We choose ourselves what we think is good and right and what we, and, and what we think is evil. We continue to try to make a name for ourselves, to create honor for ourselves and cover up our shame and nakedness. But instead, our sin separates us from God, from each other, and from God's good creation. Our actions bring shame on everyone, and God's name, his reputation, is damaged. God loses face. Sinful, shameful people cannot be in right relationship with a holy and honorable God. But God is not done. God enacts a plan to return honor and blessing to humanity. He did this to deliver his people and his creation from our shameful bondage to sin. To deliver us into salvation, a new family name, a new identity, and a new honor that he would share with us. God promised Abraham a great name and used him and his family, Israel, to bless, to honor all the nations of the earth. And although God intended that this special relationship with his people would restore honor to Israel's name and to God's own name, Israel's frequent disloyalty and sin brought even more shame to God's name among the nations. God gave his law to show his people what goodness looks like, to remind us of our shortcomings, but also to offer us hope for what true and perfect goodness might look like. And it's the true and perfect goodness that we see in Jesus. The central act of the whole story of the Bible, we read in the first four books of the Bible, the Gospels, or the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, the good news about Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior and our Lord. Jesus was sinless, And therefore able to take our sin upon himself. Jesus' life fully honored God. Though through his miraculous healings. By loving and accepting all people who came to him regardless of their reputation. Jesus undercut the false names and the false power of some in society that created for themselves. Instead, he offered divine honor to all of humanity. Through his perfect life. But Jesus, Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry threatened the false kingdoms, the false power, and the false peace of his world. And so the leaders of society shamed him, nailing him to a cross. But God approved of Jesus' shame-bearing death by resurrecting him to a glorious new life 
Jesus' sinless death pays the debt for my sin and our sin. Jesus' resurrection and ascension is the guarantee of our own glorious resurrection and new life. Honored by God and living with Christ forever. But the story continues. The the story continues with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The launch of the mission of the church. Made up of both believing Jews who had been first part of that story. But also Gentiles. And reaching forward all, all directions to the ends of the earth. This part of the biblical story reaches from the coming, of Je- the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost all the way to Jesus' return that we still await. Now, membership in God's family is not based on our ethnicity or our reputation or our purity, but on our allegiance and our alliance to God and to His family. When we become part of God's family, God's Holy Spirit is given to us. The Spirit fills us with God's power and God's eternal honor. As God's family, we now possess His power and His honor so we can joyfully and eagerly share it with anyone who asks and desires to receive it. But that's not the end either. The good news continues that evil and and brokenness in our world will not have the last word. That God will ultimately put all things right. That's what justice is in Scripture. What judgment is. God putting all things right. That God will do this by dealing with what is wrong and evil. Jesus will return to earth to judge all people justly and to punish sin. God will finally separate those who are part of his family and who share in his eternal honor from those who create a false honor for themselves, who use a false peace for their own ends and try to cover up their own shame. This final judgment is the completion of God's answer to humanity's rebellion and to all that Christ accomplished. God will finally put right all that he has been so wrong. And then the story ends. The story of the good news ends with a dramatic new beginning. After putting all things right, God will make all things new. He will come to dwell with redeemed humanity in our resurrected bodies like Jesus Christ. In God's reconciled and renewed creation. We'll share God's good name and enjoy the honor of his presence with us. And in us forever. That creational triangle will be restored in glory. God dwelling with redeemed humanity. Reunited heaven and earth. And forever we'll enjoy God's presence and his glory with us. And we will also enjoy the absence of all that is spoiled, corrupt, and painful, and broken. These seven acts of this story that I'm going through this morning, the story of the good news, can be mapped along probably an outline that's more familiar to many of us, of creation, fall, 
redemption and history and, and the new creation that's coming, our future hope. As God's family, we're participants in this drama, in this great story. We're a part of God's story. And now I've spent most of our sermon talking about this sort of broad, sweeping good news. And probably at least a few of you are wondering, isn't this supposed to be a sermon about peace? We've hardly mentioned peace. Well, here's your answer, if you're wondering. If your picture, the good news, is small, your picture of peace will be very small. But if your picture of the good news is the grand picture that Scripture paints, then your picture of peace will be expansive. Too many Christians have a picture of peace, or excuse me, a picture of the good news that is too small. The good news is just simply that Jesus died for my sins and that's it. And if that's it, then peace is just simply a matter of fixing a few relationships between me and God, me and a few others. But God's grand view of peace is the flourishing of all things. God desires that each person would have deep and meaningful relationships with Him, that they would know their maker and know their true value, their true worth, and find honor in Him. And God desires that we would have meaningful and mutually beneficial relationships with one another, as people who share the image of God and share in the honor of our Heavenly Father and His family. God does not want us to lord it over one another, to try to make a name for ourselves, but invites us to follow the example of Christ, to be self-giving so that others can enjoy the joy and the honor of God's family along with us. So that they can be equal with us as we were made equal with Christ. Brothers and sisters in God's kingdom. And God desires that we would join him in his work of bringing new life, restoration life to all things. Plants and animals, our creation, ecosystems, our nations and the cultures that accompany them. Our financial systems, all of the world, this is God's plan for peace is expansive. And as his kingdom grows, that's bringing the peace and the prince of peace to bear on the kingdoms of this world. But also it's bringing, and God is bringing, the authority of the prince or the authority of the king, his power and his justice. Real, lasting, and final peace comes when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, to separate those who share his eternal honor from those who manufacture their own. Real, lasting peace comes when God puts right all that has been so disastrously wrong. Real, lasting peace is about restoring that triangle, everyone in right relationship with God, with each other, and with creation. Because we look forward to that day, 
Because as Christians, we're just so eager for God to bring flourishing for everyone, to bring right relationship and the restoration of all that is wrong. Because we are excited and eager for the kingdom of God to come. We work to invite others to experience that kingdom life already now. We work for, the, for flourishing, for peace within God's family, within God's kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we don't have a God who is satisfied to save our souls and leave us to live out our days in a broken world. God invites us to participate as he remakes the cosmos. Behold, Jesus says in Isaiah, I am making all things new. And we say with many theologians who have said it before, that God is not making all new things. He's not replacing new or the old with, with something different. Instead, God is inviting us to partner with him as agents of his kingdom and members of his family so that we experience flourishing in our lives today and invite others to do the same as partners with us, as different parts of God's diverse family. Inviting other people to experience flourishing with us means that we take an active role in caring for others and seeking to understand them and meet them in our different needs. We do this because this is what Jesus did, what we watched him do in the Gospels. It's what the Spirit still does with us today. And what each of us needs to flourish, or what I need to flourish, it may be different from what you need. We have different needs and different focuses. Those of us who are grieving this Advent season have particular needs in order to flourish, in order to hope and long for a world that will be made right again. And we know this. Many of you I know, and I'm sure there are others I, I don't know, who have already reached out in a special and particular way to the Goebel family, to the Similink family. Because we know that what they need in this time is not the same as what each of us needs in general. Their needs are special. In particular, at least for now. Likewise, some of us are focused on peace and flourishing for our environment and our climate. Others of us are focused on peace and flourishing in terms of racial reconciliation. Still others are focused on addressing economic injustice so that more people can flourish in a fair and equitable society. Still others are working for flourishing between and among genders. And still others for flourishing in their own biological families or in the families of others. The list goes on and on and on. God is not asking us or calling us to, all, to each of us be involved in everything. That's his job. He's involved in everything, in the renewal of all things. God is not asking us to be God. He's asking us to be witnesses of his work. 
God is inviting us and calling us to watch the ongoing work as he brings peace to our broken world with wonder. He is inviting us and calling us to cheer on those who are invited or who are involved in that work in all of its different facets and areas. God is inviting us and calling us to make room for our worlds to hear, to see, and to rejoice with us the many different ways that God is bringing peace to our world and the diverse people that he's using to bring it with him. With Isaiah, with those who march around the world, Christians can say no justice, no peace. Because we understand that flourishing for everyone will not come until God comes to make right all that is wrong. With those who grieve the loss of loved ones, we can say with confidence that death is wrong. It's not the way it's supposed to be. That we have peace only resting in the hope of a new creation and the new life that is to come. With all of creation, we groan and we long for judgment, for the putting all things right, and for the new creation that is to come. And so we can work through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit with the honor that God has given us to share the big good news of God and his kingdom coming to redeem all things. God and his kingdom coming to share his honor and his glory with everyone who calls on his name. Now we see in part, but we look forward to the day when we will see in full. Then we will know justice when all the wrongs are ultimately put right. And then we will know peace. Let's pray. Father God, we long for justice and we long for peace. Not the way necessarily that our world longs for it, but the way that Isaiah preaches it. We long, Lord, for the justice, the authority of your coming kingdom and of King Jesus. We long for you to make the world right, to make right what is wrong. And we humbly ask, Lord, because you love us so much, that you would begin with us. Begin in our hearts, begin in our midst, in our congregation. And Father God, we long for peace. Not just for absence, not just for quiet, not just for nothing. God, we long for the flourishing of all things. For the restoration of relationships between us and you. For an intimacy and an honor that we cannot claim for our own. But that we are overwhelmed with gratitude that you share with us anyway. We long, Lord, for a flourishing of relationships. Between, those, between us and those of us who are, who are physically and geographically far away from us. But also, Lord, 
between us and those who are emotionally and relationally distant. Even if they're close or far. God, we long for that flourishing. And we look forward to the renewal of all things. You will come to put right what is wrong, not just in our hearts, not just in humanity, but also in, our, in your creation. May we be witnesses, Lord, eager to see you at work, to tell your story and to celebrate with others what you are doing in our midst, in history, and still in our world today. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.